for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want us to remember sort of those few sentences that are the key to our identity as people of the gospel and the key to our identity as followers of Jesus. And that is that we believe in this idea of redemption. We believe in this idea of redemption. And redemption is the power to believe that your story can be changed. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Redemption is the power to believe that your story can be changed. And so when we talk about this idea that Jesus redeemed the world, we don't just mean that Jesus sort of purchased the world, but we mean that Jesus took into his own very body the weight and the sin of the world, and then through the power of resurrection, Jesus sent the world and the trajectory of the universe on a different path. That's what redemption is. The story was changed. And I say this today because as we move into 2020, we are here at Northminster thinking about blessing. And I don't know about you, but to think about blessing in the world of 2020 is a very challenging thing. Feels a little counterintuitive. It feels a little bit radical. It also feels a little bit like, what are we doing? Are we just sticking our heads in the sand? So as we begin to think about blessing, we're going to think about it in a very, very real way. Because of this idea that because we believe in redemption, we believe the story can be changed. What does that actually look like in the everyday life of you and me and others that we encounter? Okay, we know there were two shootings downtown this week. All right, we know that there is a virus that is making its way through the world. Okay, we're not going to dip our heads into the sand and pretend like that's not the world that we're living in. We're going to bravely look at that story and this story as well and figure out what does it mean to be people of blessing in the context where all of these things are true at the same time. And blessing is a very hard topic to think about for a few reasons, okay? But one of which, and you may know more about this as me than me, Um, One of this is this idea that psychologists actually have a name for. They call it negativity bias. 
Anybody ever heard of that word, that, that phrase before, negativity bias? So negativity, negativity bias is a real thing. It's in our history and our evolution. And what it means is that we actually place greater weight on bad things that happen to us rather than good things. Okay, so we place greater weight on the bad things than the good things. And this is why it takes five compliments to outweigh one criticism. Or you can argue way more than that, right? It's also why past traumas have so much of an impact on us. Many times there's that one event that becomes sort of the cycle of our lives that we can't quite get away from. It's also why we never forget that our mother was late for our 16th birthday. You know, we just never forget that. And it's also, friends, please note, and myself, please note, it's also why bad news takes the headlines more often than good news. We are psychologically built so that we place more weight on that which is negative than on that which is positive. It's called negativity bias. And actually, there was a contributor to Forbes magazine who did some research around this for the purpose of business success. And what this individual said, and put it this way, is that we are Velcro for negative experiences and we are Teflon for positive ones. It's a very succinct way of getting at this idea. And I think we all sort of resonate with the fact that this is a real thing. We all have a bias for negativity, okay? And if you've been a part of a church for longer than a year, you've probably experienced this in a very real way. Okay, we all have. There's the person who makes mention of an outfit, and, and you don't know why the person is saying that. There's the person who didn't give you the coffee when you thought that they were going to give you the coffee. There's the flowers that didn't get organized properly. Okay, all of those things are part of being a part of a church, right? And when we're a part of a community, a lot of things go right and a lot of things go wrong. And the things that go wrong tend to stick with us. And I'm just here to remind us today that that's just part of who we are. And it helps us to put it into perspective, right? It gives us the ability to reweigh what it is that we're experiencing both in the world and in our own community. And I want to talk today about what this means for our faith. Because I think that our faith is one of the most essential parts of our being. It's one of the most essential parts of our being. It's the part that changes. It's the part that is affected by the community around us. It's the part that we try to figure out how to put into practice in our everyday life. It's the part that holds us from the time that we're born until the time that we reach old age. Okay, our faith is the thing that strings throughout our whole life. And our faith gives us the power to encounter negativity bias in a different way. Okay? What I want to be clear about is that it's not that faith gives us the opportunity to erase negativity bias. That is not something that is even possible for us as humans. But what faith does is it gives us the power to redeem and transform negativity bias. 
right? Because we believe that Jesus redeemed the world, we can also believe that our story can be redeemed too. And so negativity bias can be transformed. And this is a very important thing for 2020, not because it gives us rose-colored glasses, but because it gives us a very anchored and grounded way of seeing the world in such a way that we can be a positive act within it. We, no matter what, cannot forget that we are literally people of the gospel. And who can remind me what gospel means? Good news! Good news, guys, it doesn't sell. Okay, that's the definition of good news. Does not sell. Uh, It's not natural, it's certainly not easy, and it's somewhat counterintuitive. And friends, it's just like our text today. So if you want to take another look at it, you're certainly welcome to do that, and we're going to dive right in. So Jesus starts this journey in a place of challenge. Okay, we pick up right at verse 12 with Jesus hearing some very specific information. In verse 12, Jesus hears what? That John the Baptist was arrested. Okay? That John the Baptist was arrested. And then, from that point, we see that Jesus decides to flee. Okay? We get two words that help us to understand just how sort of um, intuitive and how, uh, how impactful this fleeing was within his life. Um, he, he's prompted to flee, and, he's, and something happens with his friend and um, his family, and he knows that he needs to get out of that space. Now, the first word that we hear is that he withdrew to Galilee. Okay, that's a very normal word for leave, sort of like this is he just decided to depart and leave, but then it says, and then he had to leave Nazareth. And it's that same word in English. The word in Greek is very different. That word for leaving Nazareth actually suggests a loss of an identity. Okay? So not just is he leaving to go to Capernaum, but he's actually leaving behind a part of who he is in his hometown in which he was raised in Nazareth. And the text gives us those two words so that we can develop and sort of get this idea of just how hard it was for Jesus to make that move. So if you have a family member who is an immigrant or you are a first generation person here in the United States, that word is for you. You know exactly what that means. To leave behind a part of something that is dear to you for the sake of something that you need to do. Or maybe if you are divorced or you have had a significant life change, that word is for you because you know what it feels like to have to leave behind something that is deeply, deeply important to your very identity in order to go into something new. And so that's what Jesus has to do. He hears that John the Baptist is arrested, and then he has to not only depart and leave into Galilee, but he has to leave a part of who he is behind in Nazareth. So it's very important to notice that Jesus does not get away from negativity bias. 
That's exactly what's happening to him. Something bad happens, and he sees that which is bad, and he reacts and makes a move for his safety into a place that is new, maybe out of fear, okay, maybe because of loss. But what we need to notice is that what's happening in this text is that there is a change that is happening to Jesus that he did not choose. There is a change that's happening to Jesus that he did not choose. And then when he makes his way up into the north, he heads quite far north, up into Capernaum. Uh, You'll notice that there's that Isaiah text that talks about Galilee of the Gentiles, So Galilee was a region that was so far north that it was very far away from Jerusalem. So in the time when Isaiah was writing, it was was in a kingdom that was not managed, that was not overseen by the Jewish rule. And so it was the Gentile uh, area that was up there. Now, in the first century, it's very different. Many Jews from Jerusalem have extended uh, their living in their villages up into that space. Um, But he goes quite far north into this area called Capernaum. And and if you look at, sometimes in Bibles, there's like a map. And if you look at the map, you'll see that the Jordan actually kind of flows right into the top of um, the Lake of Galilee. And that's the area where Jesus is. So maybe a little bit of nostalgia as he thinks about his friend John the Baptist, remember, going into the Jordan. Maybe a little bit of how far can I go and still be a part of this same city. But he gets away and he goes into this space that is very different. And then there's a marked change. So Jesus takes all of this sort of negativity, this John being arrested, this him needing to flee, and he heads up into the north, and then there's a pivot. There's a change. There's a transformation because he does not continue the story of the negativity bias. Instead, this becomes the moment for something new. And he uses this challenge, this space in which he's fleeing, this space in which he's had to leave everything else behind, he uses this to initiate his own ministry and to begin to call his first disciples. And then he invites people into a very important Christian concept called repentance. A very important Christian concept called repentance. And repentance, I want to suggest, is one of those foundations for changing negativity bias. Because repentance is all about turning. It's all about seeing something from a different perspective. It's all about taking something that you thought you knew and then looking at it differently and opening it up and actually knowing anew. And anybody who's ever practiced repentance, even as we look, if we look at it from a negative way, I'm giving up such and such, right? That's the beginning of the journey. But then as you move into the departure from whatever it is that you're giving up, 
you move into the space of, oh, I never knew that I would discover this. Oh, this is different. I never knew I was missing out on this part of my life. I never knew I couldn't quite see this because I was holding on to this one thing, right? That's how repentance works. It opens us up. It breaks something new, okay? And it changes negativity bias. And what Jesus begins to challenge his disciples to do and what he begins to challenge us to do is not to put on rose-colored glasses that change the real pain and the suffering that we face, right? That's not how we begin to change. That's not repentance. We need to see the things that are there and that are real, but also, in addition to that, we can see the places where what? Where the kingdom of God is at hand. Where there is a new landscape. Where there are new rules that are at play. Exactly. And when we can begin to see, friends, I want us to begin to listen to this for all the different parts of our lives. When we can begin to find that which is good, we can put our power and our voice there. And that is how the world begins to change. But you cannot find it if you cannot see it. And Jesus knows this and he does this right away. He does this with the calling of his disciples when he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And it's not at all unusual for rabbis to gather people. In fact, it was an honor to be chosen. But when Jesus does this choosing, what he does is he dials in on what his friends can do. I will make you fish, he says. It's a skill they already have. He leans into their strengths. For people. He sees John and James mending the nets and he calls them and they come because he knows that mending will be something that they will be doing in their life as a disciple. So he immediately leans in to their strengths and gathers them uh, in this way. And what is important for us today is not only that Jesus does all of these things which is actually very important, but keep in mind our context, but that he does them in the face of being driven away from his own home. He does them in the face of losing his greatest friend and dearest family member into the incarceration system of Herod. Okay? That is the context in which Jesus begins to build this discipleship, and you know what's coming in chapter 5, which is just a few verses after this? Blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And what I want us to remember is that it is not that Jesus has turned his eye away from what is happening in the world. He is very clear about where John the Baptist is, and that has hurt him on a gut level, but his call 
is to stay true to his story that he will live out, that redemption is possible, and therefore he leans into this extension that the world can live differently. It can. It can, it can, it can. To repent is to turn and to see the world differently, not from a place of fear, but from the perspective that God has actually entered in. To repent is to find yourself with a new set of allegiance, with a different orientation, to play by a totally different set of rules, to recognize where you belong and who loves you, and how it is that that's the deepest truth about who you are. In order to live this way, we need parables. We need stories, we need anecdotes, we need people who are doing this very thing. I've read this story before, but I want to read part of it again today because I think it gives us a very clear picture of what it is that we're up to today in our text. Many of you a few years ago read with us Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson. As we've been talking about, it's now a movie that's out in theaters um, that hopefully we'll all have a chance to see over the next few weeks and months. And I had the chance to hear Brian Stevenson a few years ago when he was here at Seattle Pacific University talk about his work, and since then his work has only grown and multiplied and really dialed into this idea that you can change your story. And so as Brian was in the courthouse during one of the final verdicts of his client who he had been working with for a long time, he met another individual in that courthouse. He met a woman who he had previously met at a church meeting where they were discussing the client that was in question. And this is some reflection about what this woman says to Brian and and his exchange with her. And the woman seeks him out and says this to him. He says, she says, it's been wonderful, Brian. When I first came, I'd look for people who had lost someone to murder or some violent crime. I decided that I was supposed to be here to catch some of the stones that people cast at each other. And Brian reflects. I chuckled when she said it. And he remembers the church meeting. At the church meeting, I spoke mostly about the case. But I also reminded people that when the woman accused of adultery was brought to Jesus, he told the accusers who wanted to stone her to death, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the woman's accusers retreated. And Jesus forgave her and urged her to sin no more. But today, Brian reflects, Our self-righteousness, our fear, and our anger have caused even Christians to hurl stones at the people who fall down, even when we should show forgiveness and compassion. And I told the congregation that we cannot simply watch that happen. I told them that we have to be stone catchers. 
and when I chuckled at the older woman's invocation of the parable that he had told earlier, she laughed too. I heard you in the courtroom today, she said to Brian. I've even seen you here a couple of times before, and I know that you're a stone catcher too. Friends, it is not easy to see differently. It is not easy, it is not easy, it is not easy. It is certainly not easy to do that while we are being honest about our own pain and suffering. And to live a life of blessing is not to live a lie. We have to be honest about our own fear and our own pain and our own anger. But as people of the what? Gospel, the good news, doesn't sell. No power on the marketplace, okay? As people of the gospel, we also need to recognize that these things are not the final word. There is a way to turn. It takes practice. It takes guts. It takes following Jesus. And it is the map for people of the good news. To be people who see blessing in challenge is to be people who are stone catchers. And the question that I have for us today is what can God do with all of those stones that we catch? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we are struck and need to take pause as we look at this text that calls us into a deeper way of being, that calls us to listen to a counterintuitive voice, that calls us to continually know differently in a world that is so filled with negativity bias. Help us as we seek to not ignore all of these things, but to look through them and to see how it is that you can transform them. And until we can see that, to hold on with a grounded hope that has enough space for pain, but that leaves space for joy. We ask that you would do this in your name. And we also give you thanks for the tithes and offerings that we are about to receive. We ask that you would use those very gifts to continue this work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. When the ushers are ready, they're welcome to come forward. I didn't give them a lot of warning, so um, when you're ready, come forward.